Your life does not get better by chance, it gets better by change. Jim Rohn. Hello and welcome to another mailbag episode of the Dominate Test Prep podcast. I am Brett Etheridge, founder of Dominate Test Prep and host of the podcast, and it is good to be back with you. It's been a while since our last episode. I've been on vacation and madly working on a number of different things with the business that I'll be sharing with you here shortly. I have a lot of really fun podcast episodes lined up to record this month, so make sure you have subscribed to the podcast and are alerted whenever we drop those. But in this episode, we are going to answer the question, when is it time to, quote, throw in the towel? In other words, when is it time to move on and maybe acknowledge that your score is just what it is going to be on your standardized test? And this comes from an email that was submitted to me by one of our listeners, Dan. He wrote me and asked the following. He said, quote, After writing the exam three times, I am beginning to wonder if the 700 is just wishful thinking, end quote. And then he went on and basically said, hey, is it time to give up, basically? Is it time to just move on with the score that I have? Now, for context, Dan is taking or was taking the GMAT. And again, for more context, a 700 is a really good GMAT score. It would put you in the 90th percentile. So whichever standardized test you are taking, just think about whatever that sort of really high 90th percentile type of score is. And Dan had been close. He had scored a 680 which is close, 20 points, right? But those 20 points separated him from sort of the magical 700 number. But then he went back and retook it and got a 660. And so maybe he was feeling a little discouraged. It was his third attempt, and he was wondering whether or not it was time to throw in the towel. So I'm going to answer Dan, and I'm going to give you guys some thoughts about this exact question. I know it's a question that I get a lot, and you may have it as well. Now, normally, I am a big believer in never quitting. In fact, one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is by a couple of former Navy SEALs, and the title of the podcast is literally Never Quit. (laughs) So that's like this concept of, you know, the surest way to fail in life is to quit. I always teach my kids, finish what you start, right? We're not going to quit mid-season. Finish what you start. And of course, I'm very confident that my prep courses here at Dominate Test Prep can always help you figure out how to get that high score, that score that you need to get into your target program. With the right training and the right approach, I firmly believe that anything is possible. And yet, when it comes to your standardized test, when is enough enough? Does there come a time when it does make sense to maybe just acknowledge, you know what, I've sort of reached my abilities, I've sort of reached the threshold, and it is time to move on. So I have several thoughts for you about this. In fact, four major points that I want to address. I have some stories to tell you that I think will encourage you if you're wrestling with this question. Let me sort of give you an answer up front, and then I'll provide that nuance to it. And the answer, sort of the short answer to Dan is that actually, yes, three times is probably enough taking the same exam. Now, notice those words, the same exam. I'm going to talk about when you should maybe consider switching exams. But if you've taken the same standardized test three times, maybe four times, that is when it's time to start thinking about, hey, 
is enough enough. Now, statistically, and you may have heard me say this on other episodes, most people actually do take their standardized tests more than once. That's totally normal. That's expected. Admissions officers are totally fine with seeing a couple of scores, and then they look at your best score, and, and that's just what they consider. And that's that's fine. That's just a reality. But at some point, three times, four times, five times, now we're sort of exceeding the limit that admissions officers are going to feel comfortable with. I work with a lot of admissions consultants, and they generally say that, yeah, after about three attempts, you know, on the one hand, admissions officers are saying, hey, good for you. You're trying. It's important to you. You're working. You're trying to get better. We like that. We value that in an applicant. But at some point, it sort of tips over into the realm of, okay, well, maybe they just don't have the ability to get to that next level or why why are they struggling so much with this particular exam so you need to sort of walk that line and three attempts is probably a pretty good number now a lot of exams including the GMAT by the way I'm gonna go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here have changed their policies and let you cancel scores in fact to the point where if you cancel your score it's like you never even sat for the exam so schools won't even see the score and so if you're taking an exam where that's the case you could take it 10 times if you want <laughs> because literally you only have to submit a good score and that's all they will ever see. And so that is an option for you, but that's a lot of money. I mean, if you're dropping several hundred dollars every time you register for ex the exam, not to mention the time investment, is that actually worth it? So, so let's talk more about this and let's, let's dive in. And I have four real thoughts for you around this to provide some nuance to that question. And the first is... What are you doing differently between attempts? So, okay, you're going to take it three times. And in Dan's case, he had already taken it three times. What did Dan do differently between exam one and exam two or between exam two and exam three? And I'm not going to go into too much detail here. You can go back and listen to episode 32 of the Dominate Test Prep podcast called Should You Retake Your Exam? And I talk in great length about things you consider should consider and things you can do differently to ensure a different result, including, by the way, taking a, a prep course. Like if you haven't taken my prep course and you're just working some random practice problems hoping for a better result the next time, well, that's the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different, different result. So what are you going to do differently? And here's here's my first story for you. You know I love stories, and you know I love to tell sports stories. Uh, I was big time into CrossFit for a number of years and participated every year in what they call the CrossFit Open, which is a big worldwide competition where they release a workout, and you perform the workout, and you're trying to get the best score you can, and you're trying to do the best you can worldwide. And I was very competitive, and I was always looking for the highest placement I could get in the CrossFit Open. And I remember this one year they released a workout on a Thursday and you could take do the workout anytime over the course of the weekend and you had to submit your score by the following Monday afternoon. And so I completed the workout uh, on a Friday morning. It was deadlifts and handstand push-ups and different combinations. And I did the best I could. But afterwards, I wasn't pleased with my score. I felt like I could have done better, despite the fact that my muscles were burning and my heart rate was up and I was pushing myself at the time as hard as I thought I could push myself. I just wasn't thrilled with my score. So I said, you know what? I'm going to rest up this weekend and I'm going to do this workout again. I'm going to do it again on Monday just before the submission deadline. I know I can do better. 
So I rested, I thought about strategy, what might I do differently, how might I break up the reps a little bit differently, and, and so I went back in feeling pretty good on Monday, I attacked the workout, and what do you think happened? I got pretty much the exact same score. Uh, in fact, I think it actually might have gone down by a couple of reps, probably because I sort of realized about halfway through that I really wasn't on pace to be doing any better, and the point is, how can I expect to magically get better like three days later? Now, sometimes you know if you messed up in a certain area or you had the wrong strategy or or something like that. Okay, maybe you can. But at the end of the day, is my fitness magically going to improve dramatically in three days? No, of course not. My ability at the time of taking that test, in this case, that workout, was what it was. Waiting three or four days, I'm not magically going to get fitter. I needed time. And in fact, I just trained for another year of doing CrossFit. That same workout came back up, I think just in a normal practice session, uh, about a year later, and I crushed it. I mean, I destroyed my previous time. Um, and why? Because I was a year fitter, right? So sometimes you just need more time. Now, most standardized tests do make you wait a certain amount of time before you retest. In the case of the GMAT, for example, you have to wait 16 days. And you might be thinking, well, 16 days, that's actually a lot of time, like a lot more than the three or four days that I had for that CrossFit workout. But even there, is 16 days really enough time to see significant improvement? Maybe depending on what it was that held you back. If you had a freak thing happen to you at the test center or you woke up in a bad mood or you didn't get a lot of sleep the night before or a glitch happened during the exam or right, there could be things like that that could have happened that you could reasonably expect a much better result just 16 days later. But you might need more time than that. In fact, you might need a lot more time than that to really work on your weaknesses and get your ability up to a totally new level so that when you now sit for the exam, it's reasonable to expect a different result. But the question then becomes, and this come, takes us to my second point, is it worth that much extra time? Once you've taken the exam two times or three times, how much more time is it going to take to get that incremental improvement? And is that incremental improvement really worth it? And I have a really important point to say about that here, but what I'm talking about is called the law of diminishing returns, right? You've probably studied that or at least heard about that in economics. It's a principle stating that profits or benefits gained from something will represent a proportionally smaller gain as more money or energy is invested in it. What that means for you in terms of your standardized test is, you've already invested a lot of time, presumably, studying for the exam, if you've already taken it two or three times, how much more improvement can you reasonably expect? Now, again, if you never took a course or, or something major like that, well, then, yeah, you could expect huge improvement. But if you've already done all of that, how much time is going to be required to get that extra little bit of improvement? Now, for somebody like Dan, a little bit of improvement is really all he needs. He just needed those 20 extra points to get up to the 700. And yet, it might take a disproportionate amount of time to get those 20 points, right? When he first started studying, 
he might have gone from, and I'm making these numbers up because I don't know Dan's exact his exact situation, but I do know this to be the case in a lot of for a lot of my students. Maybe he was starting like in the 500s, and literally with a week or two of studying and learning some major strategies and some high yield concepts in learning how different question types work and just sort of getting your mind around it, like a lot of the big stuff, you can see huge improvement. Like he might have improved a hundred points literally within the first few weeks of taking my course, for example. So you can see huge improvement early on, right? Major gains early on. And yet just to go up that last 20 points could take weeks or months even as you're learning the really hard question types or or whatever it is that is holding you back. And so your question is, is the law of diminishing returns, how much time will be required and is it actually worth it? Might you be able to get the score you want with enough extra study time? Probably. In fact, I'm confident that the answer is yes. I don't really believe there are lost causes, especially if you take my course, but I've worked with enough students to see them make major improvements uh, with enough work and doing the right things. But what will that extra 20 points really buy you? Is, in the case of the GMAT, that 700 GMAT score really necessary? And so the question I would ask you, and the question I asked Dan actually by email was, is that 700 number something that you absolutely need because the program told you that you will not get accepted without a 700? Or is that a number you just sort of came up with as a pride thing? Like, hey, a 700 sort of represents a really good GMAT score. I just want to get a 700 for personal pride. <laughs> and Dan actually emailed me back. Uh, so by the way, I'm answering Dan's question on this mailbag, uh, but I've already sort of had this conversation with Dan. I just know a lot of other students have it as well. But Dan admitted, he said, yeah, that's actually sort of my number. That's sort of a pride thing. It's sort of just something that I thought that if I got a 700, it would open up, up the doors to a whole lot of schools for me. But the reality is when we looked at it, the schools that he was applying to had a range of expected GMAT scores that went down into the 600s. So his 680 was actually within the realm already of a number of the schools that he was applying to. So I was like, Dan, what, like, what are we doing here? You've really gotten a competitive score with your 680. I know you want the 700, but is it really absolutely necessary. And so that would be my question to you. If you have a score in your head that you've tried two times, three times, four times to achieve, where did that score come from? So that's that's a question you need to ask yourself. Do you even need a higher score? And then sort of the third point that I would make, and really along these lines, and this is where I want this to be encouraging to you, but I also want it to be a bit of a reality check. And that is this. It may be the case that you have actually reached your threshold, that your ability is what it is, just like, like me with my CrossFit workout, right? My shoulder strength and deadlift strength was what it was. I wasn't magically going to get better in four days. Now, after a year of training, yeah, but I don't want to waste a year of my life continuing to study for the GMAT, right? Or the GRE or the LSAT. It's time for me to move on with my life. Time is valuable. A year of my life is valuable. What can I do with the score that I currently have? And in Dan's case, a 680 is still a very competitive score. But regardless of what your current score is, it may be time to acknowledge that your ability is what it is, that after three or four attempts, your score on this particular exam sort of is what it is, and it may be time to adjust your target schools. 
it may be time to start broadening the schools that you're willing to think about applying to. Now, I get it. We all want to go to Harvard Business School or Yale Law School or like whatever it is. But really, is it really necessary? Are those even the best fit schools for you? Or are they just schools that you know are always in the top three of the rankings? But if you listen to the last episode uh, where I interviewed Peter Lampert, he talked a lot about fit. And he said, look, there are 3,000 plus reputable schools in the United States alone. Like there are certainly six to 10 of them that are going to be a great fit for you. And you're going to still get a great education at those schools. So why do we get so fixated on just one or two of them? Why are you so locked into Harvard Business School or Yale Law School that you're not even really considering other schools that your standardized test score may be a better fit for. And I have a couple stories here that, again, I want to use to encourage you. And you may have heard me talk about one of these previously, and that that's the story of my own father. Now, I've been greatly shaped by his story growing up because he was an incredibly successful trial lawyer, right? So I grew up watching my dad. I, I admired my dad. I looked up to my dad. I knew he was successful. He made a great living. We lived in a nice house growing up. But I also knew he was like kicking butt in the courtroom. He was accepted to all sorts of prestigious. Uh, he got all these awards. He was admitted to what's called the American College of Trial Lawyers, which fewer than 1% of trial trial lawyers uh, in, the, in the United States uh, get accepted to. So the point is, he was at the very, very top of his profession, right? He was allowed to argue in front of the Supreme Court. and he So he was successful. And guess where he went to school? Center College. You've probably never even heard of it, right? So undergraduate, it's a Division three school. It's in a small town in Kentucky, like Eastern Kentucky, Center College, right? So he didn't go to some prestigious Ivy League undergrad. Okay, well, but certainly maybe he then parlayed that into going to a top business or a top law school. Nope. He went right next door to the University of Kentucky Law School. Now, University of Kentucky Law School is a good law school, right? But it's not like a top three school, a top five school. It's not something you're probably thinking in your mind when you think of top law schools. And yet from Center College and University of Kentucky Law School, he went on to make of himself an incredible career as a lawyer. So a lot of it has to do with what you make of your education as long as it's a good fit for you and you make good connections and you do get a good education. Do you really need to go to the top schools? And then I have another good friend growing up uh, who's actually the older brother of my best friend growing up. Uh, his name was Justin, and he wanted to go to medical school. He wanted to be a doctor, and he struggled and struggled and struggled with the MCAT. The MCAT is the entrance exam for medical school. He must have taken this thing five times, right? I mean, it just seemed like he was constantly studying for it. He spent a year, easily a year or more of his life trying to get a great MCAT score. And he never could. He never got a great MCAT score. So instead of giving up on his dream of being a doctor, right? And this is something important for you to realize, like how connected are you with your dream? That should drive all of it, right? I'm not suggesting you give up by any means. I'm not suggesting you don't still go to business school or law school or whatever you're wanting to pursue when I'm suggesting that maybe you adjust your target schools. So in his case, he was set on being a doctor. He did not want to give up on that dream. That dream was a burning desire. And yet he didn't have the MCAT score he needed. So he got creative. 
he explored other options. What are some options? What could he do? And he ended up going to a medical school in the Caribbean somewhere. I don't know, the Virgin Islands or something. I don't even remember exactly where he went. But he went somewhere that either didn't require an MCAT score at all, or it just had a lower threshold to get accepted, uh, and his MCAT score was acceptable. And he, he was like, look, I'm, I'm going to go to med school. Somebody will let me in somewhere in the world, even if it's a lower end medical school, I'm still going to go get the, the education I need and the degree I need to go become a doctor. And that's exactly what he did. He went to medical school in the Caribbean, and now he's back in the United States working as a doctor, and he's a good doctor, right? And so it's it, it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And so do you need to adjust maybe and, and recalibrate based on your current abilities and your current score? When you think about those diminishing returns, you say, hey, I can either spend the next year of my life trying to improve my score, and it might not take that long, uh, or let me work with what I have and let me move on with my life because you can't get a year of your life back, right? And it's important to move on at some point. At the end of the day, you can make a lot of wherever you end up going. I just read another article uh, recently at Poets and Quants talking about how the University of Tennessee Business School, so again, not the big, big name business school, but still a good business school, they actually have higher job placement uh, you know, success rates than Harvard Business School. So a higher percentage of their graduates are getting jobs upon graduation even than at Harvard Business School here at the University of Tennessee. And I say here because I'm currently living uh, near Knoxville in East Tennessee, near the University of Tennessee. So I thought that was very interesting to read that. The point is, there may be better options out there for you. And if you've already taken your standardized test three, four times, it may be time for you to explore those options. And my final point and the final thought for you is, if you don't want to adjust your target schools, or if you don't want to explore some of those other options, it may be time to actually think about switching to a different exam or switch to a different program or concentration entirely, right? So, in Dan's case, right, or for those of you studying for the GMAT and you're struggling with the GMAT and you just can't quite break through on the GMAT, what if you take the GRE instead, right? The GRE is now accepted at most business schools, including top name business schools that you might have your heart set on. So you wouldn't even have to switch degrees. You wouldn't even have to switch programs. Maybe take the GRE instead. So that's an option. Same thing with the LSAT versus the GRE. Same thing with the executive assessment versus the GMAT. Uh, maybe you're studying for the SAT for undergrad. Try your hand at the ACT or vice versa. There's a lot of flexibility in today's marketplace where schools have started to accept more and more different types of exams as they want to take more of a holistic approach to evaluating candidates. So there are options out there for you. Uh, that was actually my case, right? I, some of you heard that part of my story. When I first started thinking about going back to school, I thought I wanted to go to law school and I started studying for the LSAT. And I struggled with the LSAT a little bit. I'll, I'll be honest with you, right? I'm like the standardized test guy. I'm great at the GMAT, the GRE and the SAT, but something about the logic games, I just I just didn't do all that well with the LSAT. I think if I had stuck with it, I could have gotten a great score. I actually decided not to go to law school for some other like lifestyle reasons. I had watched my dad uh, have a heart attack at age 51. So I talked about him being a very successful trial lawyer. But as you know, there's a lot of stress that comes with that. And so for me, I did a lot of soul searching about what I really wanted out of life. So that's part of what led to my transition and my change in my career. 
But I also have to admit that I was at the time not doing quite as well on the LSAT as I probably would have needed to have to get into a top law school. All of that to say, I switched gears. I switched to the GRE uh, and ended up getting a killer GRE score that got me nearly a full ride scholarship to my graduate school that I went to. And life has turned out pretty well for me uh, going that direction. The point is, it's okay to change. It's okay to switch gears. It's okay to recalibrate, right? That's that's really the essence of life. When we get stuck in a rut, when we get stuck in a fixed mindset, when we get stuck with sort of insular thinking, things don't really turn out all that well. And that doesn't really make life all that interesting. And so maybe, Dan, in your case, and anybody else listening to this, if you're kind of bumping your head up against that brick wall as you're taking the same exam over and over and over again and not really getting a different result, it may be time to make some of the changes and transitions that I have talked about here. So I hope this is helpful. This ended up being a much longer episode than mailbag episodes usually end up being, but I I think this was all useful stuff to talk about. I hope you benefited from some of the stories I shared and you are encouraged to realize, you know what, maybe it is going to be time to retake it and do something a little bit differently next time around. So you absolutely can make improvement, but if it is time to transition, that's totally okay. I guess that's what I'll leave you with. Just that encouragement that it's okay. (laughs) You're not a failure at all if you decide to stop. Just stop. Stop taking the exam a fourth time, a fifth time. Save the money, save the time, recalibrate, and life will turn out well for you. I am confident of it. So as always, if you have any questions, you know how to reach me. I'll put my contact information in the show notes below. Thank you, as always, for your support, for continuing to listen and share us uh, and give us those five-star reviews. But for now, I will sign off on this episode of the Dominate Test Prep Podcast. But as I mentioned, we have a lot of really good stuff coming out uh, in the very near future, some really interesting topics and interviews and conversations. So stay tuned for those. And I will talk to you then. For now, signing off on the Dominate Test Prep Podcast. Take care, everyone.